Hi, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo and co-host with editor Lucy Kippist of the Flying Solo podcast. Now, before I introduce our guest, let me tell you about Flying Solo's premium membership. There's a massive tools and benefits to help your business stand out and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solo book, and much more, all for just $99. Now, onto the show. I'm delighted to be speaking with Jamin Fraser, who joins me from Goulburn in New South Wales. And we're going to have a uh, good old talk about issues. Well, I guess, well, maybe I'll get you to kind of introduce us. What's the, what's, what's the main area focus of your work, Jamin? Yeah, good day, Robert. Uh, the focus of my work is helping people think through insecurity. Mm. Pretty vulnerable subject, but uh, a very important one. So, yeah, the insecurity yeah. project is my thing. Okay, the insecurity project. And how long have you been running that for? Uh, it's 18 months, that brand. Uh, after much advice to not brand myself with such a negative word, uh, I, I, couldn't, uh, uh, I couldn't do anything other than that. It seems the problem that I was born to solve, and so um, it feels like my whole life has been leading towards being that overt around that problem. But yeah, the actual insecurity project is 18 months old. Mm, okay, interesting. I mean, I'd, I'd, uh, I won't take us down the great rabbit hole of uh, of marketing and whether it should or should not be that name. But um, <laughs> I congratulate you for for sticking with it and having the commitment to stick with it. And clearly, it's something that is very important. So. Um, Tell me, what to what degree do you think this is an issue? And I'm thinking particularly within our audience of very small businesses. Uh, do you observe a, a, a massive sort of insecurity problem within our work? Yeah, well, I think it's a universal issue to start with. You know, it is the human condition to we're on a quest to work out if we matter and uh, if we are enough. And typically we have lots of external ways of doing that that are quite insufficient. And so... Um, you know, we all have to battle through insecurity. So it affects people differently in different ways. I think interestingly, and a big part of why I focus my work with small business owners and entrepreneurs is when you exit the safety, the so you know, the relative safety of a workplace serving mm. someone else's vision, and it's it's you, and you are flying solo, you're on your own. Um, then there is no reprieve from you, and you're in your own head, and your own fears then become much more realised. So I think insecurity is a significant limiting factor for business owners, and uh, yeah, has a lot of uh, lots of impacts that often people are not aware that are being driven from insecurity. Mm. I, I think that's so true, and I mean, I, I do observe, you know, a number of, of businesses that you know where we as individuals have a, a particular skill set, but perhaps taking that to market is something where suddenly insecurity can can kind of come in it can come into play in so many areas of our work i mean is this do you is, are there great parallels with your work and this whole imposter syndrome is there a distinction between what you do and that sort of definition no i think the imposter syndrome is a perhaps a more palatable way of talking about insecurity uh, it's yeah, the imposter. If you feel as though you are imposter, then on some level you feel inadequate for the mm. task. Like mm. you're going to be found out as not enough, which is you know the very definition of insecurity. Uh, so I've just branded it uh, as overtly as possible to say, well, you know, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, the, the real core issue here from the beginning. 
Hmm. Okay. And do you find then that people are coming to you um, very sort of conscious that that they have an insecurity issue or are they coming to you more with a, a business issue to some aspect of their work and then you recognize it as insecurity? I mean, is it is it a phrase um, that you're, you're finding kind of more and more people are, are more openly talking about their feelings in this regard? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it is becoming a, a little more open and people are using that term more frequently. But mm. typically, people are not aware that that insecurity is the is the core issue. People people see and try and solve problems where they show up. Mm. Uh, you know, so the insecurity project has been to go well with a bit of gentle inquiry. Could we look a little deeper beneath the surface and see some of the drivers and and the cause of this surface level pain and problems that you're you're facing and discover that in your own belief system about yourself. Uh, is the real cause of, of this pain. So it makes sense then to address that cause rather than deal with the symptoms. Mm. So it often is to educate people and to create a new level of awareness around what's actually happening. Okay. And look, and I know this is what you, you, you as you say, this is what you dedicate your work to. And I know that you have a, a, a sort of a path or um, a program that you take people through. So um, can we have a look at some of those? I know, you, <clears throat> I believe you have a like a seven-step sort of plan or, or process that whereby we can um, bring about some change here. Should we have a look at, uh, at some of that? Yeah, for sure. So my work has been to observe the people who have solved this problem. Uh, you know, I think I'm a very pragmatic person, so I love the idea of problem solving. And uh, this problem is no different than any other problem. There are plenty of people who've worked out how to show up to life unhindered by insecurity and have and have mm. been able to be at their best where it matters most. So, my my research has been to observe what did they do different? How did how did they do that? Whether they were in, totally aware of it or not. Uh, and my observation has been that there are, there were seven key practices for people throughout time who have solved this problem effectively. And uh, I think that's useful if we can have a framework and have a roadmap, mm. then that increases our chances of doing that work effectively and quickly, rather than having to recreate the wheel. Yeah, wonderful. So you've actually broken this down into into seven areas. So I know that you run a your own podcast as well, based purely on on this topic. What's the name of that podcast? That is the Insecurity Project podcast. Okay, okay. and mm-hmm. presumably through that, you're again. This is part of your inquiry and your research. Is you're talking to individuals that are are they people that are uh, that are going through insecurities or or you're looking more at people that kind of have been there but have have got through it what's what's your general sort of well, position I do three three different types of of episodes so i i love to interview people who are doing some great work in the world and and hear how did you do that how did you overcome your own insecurity to be where you are now so that's very useful mm. i also do coaching demonstrations so people who are willing to be vulnerable enough to go righto i've realized i've got an insecurity problem can you coach me through it and they let other people listen in on that coaching session, mm. which I think is incredibly valuable because Absolutely. I think it's such a vulnerable subject. If you hear someone else going through it, you can't help but try that on yourself mm. and you find your story in their story. Uh, so that's the second thing. And then I, I do a 10-minute Tuesday, which is some, some content and frameworks and, and tools for people to take away. Brilliant. Okay. Well, look, you're a better man than I am because I, I remember years ago I tried to um, convince people to do some live recorded coaching sessions with me, and um, 
and I was deafened by the silence. So I couldn't find <laughs> anybody who's brave enough to do that. So um, clearly you have, and uh, congratulations. All right, well, let's, let's have a look at your, uh, these, these kind of seven areas. Where, where do we start then? If we've got somebody listening who is, yeah. who is thinking, yeah, okay, this, this, is, this is kind of hit the nail on the head. Insecurity is my, is my problem. Um, where do we start? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I love thinking about, you know, this is a road less traveled and it's certainly in no danger of being trampled and overrun by the masses. So <sighs> I think most people won't actually find a way to resolve insecurity. They will mask it, manage it and just survive it. Um, but for those people who go, no, I have to find a way through, it, it starts by stepping into the light. Um, you know, Yoda says, named must your fear be before banish it, you can. So most people are, are running away and, and right choosing to remain in the darkness, choosing to protect their vulnerabilities and mask any insecurity. But if you're going to solve it, you have to name it first. Yeah, okay. So stand up and acknowledge it. Exactly. It's not a health problem. It's not a finance problem. It's not a motivation problem. It's not an energy problem. I'm actually afraid of not being enough. All right, I said it. Mm. There you go. Mm. Um, pretty brutal, but that's the only way out is through. Uh the, the second practice is around responsibility and um, a, a big shift because typically when people identify, okay, there's some insecurity there, they imagine, well, well okay, the reason there's insecurity is because of the things, the painful things that have happened to me, the, the periods of loss or disappointment or hurt or rejection, that's why I'm insecure. Mm -hmm. um, but the practice of responsibility is to actually deconstruct those experiences and explore what it was that actually created the insecurity. And as we understand around the, the human condition, we are storytellers. Right. We're sense-making creatures. Yep. Life's not about what happens to us. It's about the meaning we place in the things that happen to us. So you, could, you discover that you know we are not the actor in the story. We're the storyteller. Mm. So it, it wasn't that you know the year three teacher said you were stupid. Uh, it's that when the year three teacher said you were stupid, you decided she was telling the truth. All right. So you actually, it was your own opinion that created this insecurity. Uh, that, no that, one could do this for you. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's a great point. And it's, um, I mean, that must be very confronting for a number of people that you work with. And I'm thinking of people that might start to kind of do this um, by themselves is you know really pulling it apart and figuring out why is it why do I feel this insecurity what happened and yeah. what's an alternative way of looking at it that's that's quite a process that must be quite confronting when people get into that well it is and you know practice five just to jump ahead is to get help mm. from someone who doesn't care about you and <laughs> okay and I think th this is an interesting point and and a very powerful one when people understand it because um, at some point, you're going to need help in this process. But mm. often people go to, to people to help them who have a vested interest in solving the problem. People who love them, care about them, like them, need them to be secure. And so kind of speak to them out of that wanting. And it, it's not a very safe space when, when you could get the answer wrong. Um, so where my distinction, I, I push people very hard from the very start to say, hey, listen, I don't care, by the way. And I'm not affected by your problem, by the way. So you'll tell me sad stories. I won't cry. I'm not losing any sleep over you. Um, you know, you can't confuse me for someone who cares. And <laughs> and that distance just creates this safety to go, huh, okay, well then, um, my like I, I just show up as someone to serve. I say, look, I don't, I'm not another person who wants you to do something you don't want to do. I'm, I'm just here to serve you to get what you, you what you want. But if you mm. don't want me wanting it for you is useless. 
Um, so all that to say, that judgment-free space kind of creates this safety for them to have very honest and open conversations. And and I think that's required to deal with such a vulnerable subject. Uh, you've got to have a clean space. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I think that's a um, fascinating approach. And it's it's funny, there are parallels here. I think of, um, you know, say the Flying Solo forums where – People can be on there uh, anonymously. You know, they're, they're using a name that's that's not sort of traceable back to themselves or their business on some occasions. And often we will see people on there that are feeling extremely vulnerable, yeah. um, but but are saying it out in the open to people that they just don't know. Mm. Um, and yeah. uh, and there is something very cathartic about that, isn't there? Right, actually, there is, yes. having a safe space and knowing actually the people at the other end are not going to be impacted. They're going to give you their, as far as they can, their sort of impartial response to what you're saying. And that's what you're suggesting there, I think, with your your point five, is that, is that you're, you're making it clear that that's the position that you stand in. Exactly right. And mm. it, it just positions them as the responsible adult and, and them as the hero in the story, really. I think often people in my space... Uh, create confusion around who the hero really is. Mm. <laughs> They'd like to be the one giving the answers and advice and fixing the problem, but that's uh, that's actually disempowering the person who's trying to solve their own insecurity. Mm. Well, look, I've I've done the delightful job now of completely pulling your your sort of seven points uh, out of order. So, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's not important. But you know, we've started off by saying, look, firstly, we've got to to acknowledge this is how I feel. Then yeah. we need to go back and go. Okay, how how and why do I feel like that? And what's an al- an alternative way of thinking about that? Where yeah. do we? So let's imagine we're going through that process. We'll we'll park number five for the moment. Where do we kind of go to next? Great. So uh, yeah, when you position yourself as responsible, the, the the one who actually created the insecurity, while that's confronting, it's beautifully empowering because it says, well, then if I'm the one with the pen and paper, I wrote this story originally well then i could actually modify it mm, write a different story someone else to fix this um okay cool right i am responsible mm. um practice three is to stack the pain so so anyone who's ever solved this has actually used pain uh, as it was intended you know pain is designed to move us from danger towards safety uh, but typically people focus on the danger of change the, the danger of the uncertain and unfamiliar uh, outside of their comfort zone. And so pain is actually working against them and, and resisting the change process. Whereas the people who've solved this have actually dialed up the pain and, and the cost of being insecure. Hmm. They actually calculated the costs a- appropriately and, and fully and realized what is the impact of carrying this fear of being no good? How is that impacting my health, my finances, my relationship? How will that continue to thwart my future progress how will that rob me of opportunities and leave me feeling disappointed with my life and so sorry yeah no so so again i think i'm following what you're saying so again what we're doing there is we really do open it up and pull it apart and look at as you say what's the cost of this how is this how is this really so presumably this is a process of writing down you know writing down all the ways that that this insecurity is impacting you Exactly. You're being very honest around a cost assessment because if mm. you can stack pain to being here, then every cell in your body will serve you to move away from here. Mm. Feeling bad about yourself is supposed to feel bad. That's the point. And that pain is going to serve you to go, great, insecurity is dangerous. 
let's move towards safety. Let's resolve this. Mm, interesting. Okay, I'm 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 feeling like I'm sort of in my subconscious. I'm going through this process myself. So I, <laughs> you've won me over. All right. So we we've got to three. So we're going to point four now. Exactly. So that's to have a compelling life vision. So uh, Anthony Robbins is good on around the pleasure pain piece and and says if you just have a pain motivator, you become like a pressure cooker and you go off the boil the moment you've moved and you've moved far enough away from pain. So. You know, that happens a lot of the time. Mm. It's not just enough to have a desire to move away from pain. You have to have a desire to move toward pleasure. So not just be clear about what you don't want. Be very clear about what you do want as well. So what's the, what's the vision? You know, this, this mirrors the hero's journey in so many ways. And the hero has to have a quest. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be something calling you forward. Otherwise, when it gets hard, what's the point of diving into pain and fear and past mistakes and failure and, and uh, you know, trauma even if there's no reason. So it, this this is a, you know, all the stages are, are hard. Um, mm. Often people find this particularly hard because they've actually dialed down desire even at a young age. I mean, I'm working with year 12 at my local high school and only one out of 50 students has any kind of clarity around the dream. Mm. Uh, they've already kind of worked out no that's not how the world works you don't get what you want you get what you get you settle you survive you fit mm. in isn't that distressing that's yeah well mm. it is mm. it's quite extraordinary mm. but a very much you know very much part of the human condition to protect ourselves and what do you want turns out to be one of the most dangerous questions that exist because it causes us to stand out and then be found out mm. and to think who am i to deserve all this exactly you know exactly. springs up so much stuff but i love the way that by the time you get to this point in your sort of practice you know you have um clarified so many so so much of this this negative aspect the stuff that's holding you back yeah. that once you've kind of got it there it's that once you've written it down you've got it out and you're sitting there next to you on a piece of paper then I'm sure it's so much easier then to to say, okay, well, that's what that's where I've been, or that's where I am, and that's what I yeah. don't want anymore. Now, what do I want? Exactly. You know, that that sort of delineation must be so helpful because often I've worked with people on visions, um, helping them with visions. But if you can't kind of park or um, reconcile the stuff that's kind of drawing you down, then it's, it is extremely difficult to start thinking about a rosy, sunny future. But mm -hmm. um, I like your process. Okay, so let's imagine we've done that. Now we're on to point five, I guess. Which is the get help piece from yes. someone who doesn't care about you. So right. in, in every hero's journey, you know, there's a Dumbledore, there's a Gandalf, there's a Yoda. There, there is a wisdom character. That's, mm. that's essential for the hero to get equipped and there are tools for the game that, that he's going to need. He or she is going to need help. Uh, and so, I think I think uh, just the importance of the objectivity and in the coaching space, uh, I think it's the great value of having a coach work alongside you in this process is to get you out of story and into process. Mm. I think people consistently imagine their problems are really complicated and unique. Um, but in fact, if you take, get a bit of distance from it, you see they're universal, you know, and, and it's a human condition. We all go through these kind of same challenges, but in different ways. So the path is actually not complicated and unique. It's just simple and hard. Mm. 
Yeah, look, uh, and I look. Uh, uh, I'm, I hesitate to to say this, but I'm going to. I, clearly, this is what you do. This is a service that you offer. But mm. I'd like to ask you, in your experience, can somebody literally go through this process with someone other than a coach, with a buddy, with a friend? Is that have you had experience of people that team up with somebody? Maybe it's not. You know, it's not using the external services of somebody but trying to do it themselves with a colleague or a friend, is that is that a doable thing? Have you witnessed that? Of course it's doable, uh, but the distinction is the friend, the buddy, the, the companion still in some way to be useful has to step into a coaching modality. Yeah, okay. Because if they try and fix it for them, they weaken the, they weaken the hero. If they give advice, mm. if they give encouragement, there are so many people who are trying to prop up people by believing in them, encouraging them, praising them, you know, being responsible for them in so many ways, which in in some ways just further exacerbates the issue of insecurity. So, yeah, the, the, the challenge is really around the kind of help because often uh, the intention for help can become part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a good response. All right, <clears throat> so where to next? Let's imagine we now uh, we have this person. Is, yep. is to be the hero. So again in the hero's journey at some point the hero is alone and the real the hero realizes well no one is coming to save me dumbledore is dead gandalf's gone yoda's not there and and the hero is on the path to go face the dragon and a very confronting kind of moment in time Hmm. Uh, again there is no no other way so they are the hero in the story so of course they they're only going to be able to do what the hero can you know they're the one that are going to do the work of the hero um, so specifically when this relates to insecurity, at some point you actually have to face this question, am I enough or not? Like, am I a value or not? I've been afraid that this question was no. I've been afraid there's been lack or inadequacy here and I've done everything to mask that, but here I am faced with that very question and the only way out is through. And turning back doesn't actually lessen the pain anymore. I'm committed to this process, so I've got to find out. Mm. Uh, so, so in many ways, that that work is around going back to the origin. Is to realise that there was a there was an inception point for that story. There was a moment in time where some stuff went down, um, and and you decided that that it meant that you were no good. Hmm. Actually, go back and review the data of that very first experience, and to ex- explore whether there are other alternate meanings and whether there is another story to be told. And uh, in effect, set yourself free from a disempowering story. Mm. So, obviously, there's lots of work in that. Space yeah, there that. is a lot. I mean, in your in your experience, Jamie, when you've worked with people through this, mm. um, to bring someone from a from a position where it, it started out as a big issue to being kind of through it, through the other side, how long do you feel that that takes? Is, it, is that even a question you can answer? Well, it is. I I find that it is a it's a process. I mean, I work with people for six months, but I, mm. I often watch people do this in three months and then the follow the, the, the remaining three months is more around um, the outworking of this new story. Mm. But uh, I, I'm a big believer that change may take a long time coming, but it does happen in a moment. <laughs> I, I think it is quite a rapid experience when you're ready for it. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, entirely believable when, when you deconstruct the practice of actually solving this. Mm. If our storytellers and we have told limiting stories, well then 
new stories could be told that makes sense right mm. so hold yourself in that space and doing the work um which which is the final p- part of the process to practice seven is to rewrite the script um often i find people want to rush to practice seven <laughs> surprise surprise focus on yeah just just be positive affirmations on your mirror just mm. don't think about the past just focus on the future and just just really affirm who you are and where you're going today um, but if the prevailing narrative for your life is disempowering and, and limiting, well, the moment you get tired, stressed, frustrated, then that narrative comes out and sabotages progress anyway. So it makes sense to me to actually deconstruct it all the way back to the beginning so that it no longer makes sense, so that there is an open space then to actually rewrite a script. Mm-hmm. And again, presumably that is literal. You literally have people write, I would imagine. I do literally, exactly. Mm. Um, writing is a great modality to, to actually reinforce this and to be clear mm. about the intentionality of, of positioning yourself as the storyteller. Mm. Um, I love Stephen Covey's great observation that everything is created twice. And so typically people are experiencing the fruit of what they have already created for themselves in their childhood. Mm never gone back and reviewed the data of that or checked those scripts. They're just there. They're still the scripts. They're still the story. And so to actually go back and review those scripts, uh, deconstruct them and write new ones is is actually not as abstract as most people think. It's it's already what they're experiencing. So it's just doing this on purpose. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I, we haven't got time to do this now, but I mean, I, I would so love to talk with you more about your experiences with these, um, these year 12 kids. I mean, what are we doing mm-hmm. to our children that they're – they're not coming to that stage with a, a, a clear idea or desire for the future, but I guess that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Indeed. We'll have to get there. So, um, and Jamie, are you putting all this in, into a book? Is this something you're working on? Is that on your sort of radar? Yeah, it is. The book is, uh, well, I keep saying it's close. Right. It really is close. <laughs> I've almost finished. And uh, and interestingly, the thing I'm, I'm really excited about at the moment is I'm actually working uh, with a behavioral economist to uh, create numbers around these seven practices. Mm. So, um, what does that look like? Could you explain well, that a little bit further? It, uh, it's, a, it's so super exciting. I'd, I'd love to. It's so, um, you know, I coach people all the time. And, and so, what I'm actually doing is to give them feedback around whether they've got it or not. Have they, have they sufficiently understood the practice enough for it to work in their life? And the way that I'm doing that is analyzing the, the data of the language they give me uh, to, to give them feedback. And so I've been able to make that data explicit and, and, and deconstruct my own processing around that and then create uh, uh, some numbers. So uh, based on the, the data of language that people give around how they're answering the question, someone might think, yeah, yeah, look, I'm taking 100% responsibility. But how they answer a series of 10 questions around the responsibility place Uh might then give them feedback that they're only at a 65 percent actually not there's still patterns of blame excuse avoidance procrastination Uh, they're still wanting to play the victim card when things get hard Um, but to be able to give that in in the form of numbers is just a, a very clean way of giving objective feedback and the numbers don't lie so they can have a chance to then continue through the process retake the questions and watch progress in the form of numbers, so that's uh, something I'm very excited about. Well, I can, no, I can I can hear it in your voice. So, look, <laughs> uh, it's it's delightful to, to uh, talk with someone who's who's so committed to the you know the, the path that you're on and the and the 
the service that you're developing and uh, look forward to reading your book in the future. So look, um, Jamin, thank you so much for joining us. So if we want to find out more about you, about your podcast and your work, where's the best place to go? Yeah, my website is is a place that you can find all of that, jaminfraser.com or even the insecurityproject.com.au. Uh, those, both, both those web addresses lead to the same place. Okay, perfect. So spelling of your name is Jamin, J-A-E-M-I-N, and Fraser with a Z, dot com. Well, look, um, Jamin, again, thank you so much for um, joining us and spending your time with Flying Solo. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. And before I go, don't forget that when it comes to creating a truly enjoyable and prosperous business, Flying Solo gets you. Premium membership has all the tips and tools you'll need for just $99. Head to the join page to learn more. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 